Welcome to Superthank on X-Ray FM. My mentor told me not to go. You're probably not emotionally prepared for it, but I went anyway. And at the end of the night, and what I'm most thankful for, is that I suddenly had this feeling of connection. I was at a breaking point where I felt like if I didn't do something, I was going to end up losing my mind or I was going to end up killing somebody. What do naked people, a writing workshop, and a woman's devotion have in common? They've empowered people to expand beyond shame, replace hatred with love, and give back to others in need. And it all happened because of community. It may not make sense to say this, but I'm no longer as ashamed about my shame. Hi, I'm Kelly Gomez. Superthank is a group whose mission is to encourage one billion acts of radical community gratitude for the people and organizations that make our world the kind of place we'd all like to live. We also hope expressing that gratitude in a public forum will encourage more of the same. Today's inspiring stories were told as part of Superthank's second live gratitude storytelling event held at Beach Street Parlor in Northeast Portland. First up on the program, we have David Van Veen, an author and community volunteer who works in the mobile tech industry and lives in Northwest Portland. Uh, so this last Saturday, uh, I showed up at a park. Uh, the park happened to be at uh, 56th and Halsey, uh, Normandale Park. And I showed up at about 7.55 and there were already people there, decided to walk on. And I met my friend Philip there. And we go and we stand in the park. And I look backwards, closer to 8 o'clock, and people start streaming in one after another. Then more people, then more people. About 8.30, suddenly, I'm surrounded by people that are not wearing any clothing. <laughs> and this is, of course, the meeting spot for the naked bike ride, uh, the world naked bike ride. And Portland has uh, the largest in the world. I think we still hold that title. Last year it was 8,000, this year the numbers haven't been released, but I imagine looking from the park it's going to be about that many people. So imagine 8,000 people of all shapes and sizes and colors and backgrounds coming to this one place and removing everything that we choose to put on each day that makes us who we feel that we are. We're removing our jewelry, removing our clothing, uh, and, and at a certain point all you're able to tell is that this is a person and this is a person and this is a person and this is a person. And then you pick up your bikes, and at 9 o'clock, the marching band starts, and you start walking your bike out of the park and starting to walk your bike down the street. But sooner or later, you get to ride, and you are suddenly riding through places that you typically have walked through and that you normally have an experience where you're just, uh, just a person on the street, except that now you're riding with... 8,000 other people who are doing the same thing with you and the people on the sides of the streets are there and have come outside to give you high fives and to encourage you and to cheer. And as you're riding, you suddenly start feeling connected to these 8,000 other people. You start feeling connected to the people that are on the sides that have come out to encourage you. And at the end of the night, and what I'm most thankful for, is that I suddenly had this feeling of connection to all the people that rode with me, all the people that came out, but more importantly, to my city and to the, the wider community that I'm a part of. So that's what I'd like to give thanks to. David rode in the World Naked Bike Ride, part of a month-long series of group rides in Portland called Pedalpalooza. The majority of the other rides include clothes and are open to bikers of all sorts. 
You're listening to Super Thank on X-Ray FM. Up next, Portland writer and neurotic podcaster, Yuvi Zalko. Okay, so I'm here to thank the Pinewood Table, which is a table at my dear friend Joanna Rose's house. Um, I'm going to start by just saying how I've already screwed up this story. I actually don't think the Pinewood Table is made of pine. And I can't remember what kind of wood it's made out of, but they're calling it pine. Birch? Is that something you can make a table out of? Maybe it's birch. But um, uh, so here's how it started. Uh, I went to this weekend writing workshop about 2002 um, called Dangerous Writers. Uh, I thought that name, Dangerous Writers, was a little weird, uh, particularly since I spent most of my life hiding in the corner, uh, being sensitive and timid. Um, Nothing seemed really dangerous about my world. I'm scared of roller coasters and of urinals. Uh, But I... I, I didn't know many people back in, in Portland back in 2002, and I wanted to connect with other writers. I had come up with this stupid idea that uh, writing would be something nice to do. Does anyone else write here? That's, yeah, it's a terrible endeavor. Um, so, but um, the event was taught by the great author, uh, men, teacher, Tom Spanbauer, and four other writers. And so I went to it not knowing much of anything. Uh, one thing that terrified me was that you actually had to write during the weekend. I, it didn't occur to me that a writing workshop, you'd have to write. Uh, I just thought you could talk about pretending to be a writer. Uh, but we had to write, and even worse, we had to reveal something really vulnerable about ourselves. Um, I don't remember exactly how they tricked us into doing this, but we all seemed to do it. And um, what I wrote about was how full of shame I was as a child. It was not nothing too dramatic. I mean, I, I was just me playing Lego with my little brother um, and being scared of my father's anger uh, while also craving his attention and my little brother kind of helping me navigate that world because he somehow came out more emotionally stable than me. So uh, it was a little bit about that moment. Um, and there was pain in it. There was love. There was shame. There was loneliness, joy, humor. Um, And I read this thing. It was hard to read, but it's easy for me to read something, a little easier if I'm just following someone's orders who tells me to read something and my words are in front of me and I can pretend like they're not my crappy words, like right now, what I'm doing. Um, So I read it and I got really great feedback. I mean, or people uh, could feel the emotion of it and it was an amazing relief, but I still wanted to hide in the corner, maybe even more so. Um, And so when we had a break, for lunch, and people socialized and bonded, um, or others did, and I hid in the corner. Uh, One of the teachers, uh, Stephen Allred, uh, reached out to me, and he said, let's go out for lunch. And we did. I don't remember almost anything about our conversation. I just remember he ordered roast beef. I I don't know why that detail (laughs) sticks out. But um, I remember his sentiment, which is, you need to keep writing. He and Joanna Rose, who's the... um, owner of this Pinewood table. They teach, a, they teach a class together every Tuesday night. Right now they're teaching um, at the Pinewood table at Joanna's house. And um, I had a writer crush on both of them. So the idea of sitting at Joanna's house was thrilling and terrifying. And I went to the table just to see uh, what the hell this weird thing is all about. As a duo, they, they were amazing. Uh, they are amazing. Uh, One of them could be teaching you about story arc. The other one might be teaching you uh, how to make the words and the sentences uh, beautiful. And underlying each lesson is this idea that every single person 
can tell a unique story in a powerful way if you pay attention to your own sound. Uh, let it explode out of you and then tame it just enough so others can take it in. Um, in the end, they helped me pu publish more than a dozen stories. Uh, the novel uh, I wrote was Born and Raised at Their Table, uh, a brilliant novel in the works, which is about a guy too scared to write a novel. <laughs> and I, I spent several years at the table, and even after I left the table, I'd drop in when I needed a little fix from them. It, fix, that's, that's inappropriate. I didn't mean to make the drug connection. There. But I mean, just uh, every now and then I needed some of that energy and that uh, um, power that they give to the people who sit at their table. Um, and when, my, when they said my book was going to be published, uh, this publisher, uh, um, I called Joanna, it was the first person, and said, they're going to publish this novel, I, I want to vomit. And she said, that's normal for some people. And um, she talked me da back down to earth. When I wrote an essay uh, recently about my uh, boy and his affection for dresses and fairies and ponies and nail polish, and I talked about my uh, wanting to support him and how uh, my wife and I are doing it. You know, it was the people at the table that I met who came to help me when I started getting hate mail that I didn't know how to deal with. Um, over and over again, uh, it's not just these two people, but the community they have created. They've been teaching for more than 15 plus years at this table. Um, sitting next to these writers, I learned so many uh, amazing things. One thing I learned is that my shame is actually kind of funny. Uh, not in a mean, laugh at a person's weaknesses kind of way, but in a joyful, life is weird, we're in it together, but we're also kind of alone, and it's short, and sometimes it's precious, and, but it's not too precious kind of way. Uh, like, here's something that I didn't realize was funny until I wrote it down. I get so nervous when at a urinal, uh, I feel under pressure to pee, or else, I don't know what, like, I'm, maybe I'm afraid that everyone in the building's going to tweet about my failures to pee on time, and I'll lose my job. What, too many job references. Um, and so I sing schoolhouse rock songs in my head uh, in order to perform properly, uh, like the Conjunction Junction song, or I'll do the, the Counting by Five song. I don't know why. It's, the numbers are five. Yeah, I can't sing it. I'm too timid. But uh, I do it in my head. Um, and so this table was an, an amazing for my writing and I guess also helping my uh, peeing life, too. Uh, <laughs> But uh, one thing even better than the writing that I got from it is that it may not make sense to say this, but my shame is, I'm no longer as ashamed about my shame. Or maybe it's just that I'm more fascinated by how I operate um, and how others operate without all that nasty judgment that used to paralyze me. I mean, it's still not all roses and flawless bathroom visits. Like, even now, even today, uh, like, uh, after years and years of therapy and writing, uh, when I open the men's bathroom and someone's coming out, uh, I'll just apologize. Like, I'll just say, I'm sorry. And I'm not like the kind where you bump into somebody. It's just like you see them and just you say, I'm sorry for being here. Uh, I'm going to the bathroom. Um, and that still happens. But, um, but it's different now. And now maybe more the power is in the story of it, uh, but not in the way it used to paralyze me in some kind of feeling of shame. Um, and some of my closest friends I met there, uh, the table, uh, not the, the bathroom. Sorry, there's a lot of bathroom references in here. Um, I, I, I met my wife at the table. Uh, I've sent uh, many of my friends and acquaintances to this table. Like when someone tries to tell a powerful story but doesn't quite do it, 
or kind of get it right, um, I'll make them go to the table. I'll say at least go there. You know, if they'll say something like at the end of the story, like it was awesome to say the least, um, I'll say go sit at the table and they'll tell you how to unpack that awe in something that will make people feel that thing. Um, so I'm here to thank the Pinewood Table, pinewoodtable.com, if anyone wants to just sit in and see what it's like there. Um, and um, it's not made of pine, but it's made of something substantial, and thank you. <laughs> UV Zalco on the Pinewood Table Writers Community. UV really had the standing room only crowd laughing at Super Thanks' second live storytelling event. Superthank is a Portland-based organization that seeks to increase gratitude because radical community gratitude encourages and supports more people doing the work that makes our world a better place. Our next live storytelling event is on July 29th. Details and the latest can be found at our Facebook page. Just look for Superthank. If you have a story of gratitude to share with us, you can email stories at superthank.org or call and leave a voicemail, 503 510-0855. That's 503-610-0855. Speaking of gratitude, I want to thank the composer of all the music on this program, Portland's own Poddington Bear. You're listening to Super Thank on X-Ray FM. I'm Kelly Gomez. Our next story was told by Kip Silverman during the open mic session of our storytelling event. Kip is a writer, father, and admirer of trees. In 1987, during Martin Luther King's birthday, um, 30 preacher civil rights activists marched on uh, Forsyth County, Georgia, uh, coming Georgia, um, to uh, kind of uh, protest the fact that uh, African Americans have been run out of that area of the nation for about 70, 80 years. Uh, it's still a problematic place, but anyway, that's a different story. Um, and they were beset upon about 300 Klansmen. And this was an age, we're talking 1987, a, um, you don't really think that uh, civil rights marches are still a thing. They were. Um, you also don't think that information like this spreads instantly, and it did. Um, there were injuries, there was violence, and there was a call for people from all over the nation to come to Coming Georgia the following weekend. So a bunch of friends of mine and I who, and we, we were activists, right? You know, I was all about South Africa and apartheid, and my friend was more, you know, Central America and all these other things, and didn't really have a good concept of what's happening in our own backyard. Um, but we felt like this is something important to show up for. And there's so many ancillary stories. Um, there's the woman who showed up from Alabama who left her, wife, uh, her husband and kids to show them that this was important to her. They knew no black people. There were none in their neighborhood. Um, there were so many different stories. I met, met Reverend Hosea Williams. It was amazing. Um, but 30,000 people showed up to this march. And um, it was a unique experience. Uh, my poli-sci prof, prof, my mentor, told me not to go. 
He's like, I know you're from New York. I think, you know, you know about racism and stuff. You don't really know that much. You're going to learn stuff. Uh, and you're probably not emotionally prepared for it. But I went anyway. Um, Three-fourths of the way into the march, um, we came up on a ridge. And uh, there were, I was thinking I can get through this without getting too upset. Let's see if I can do it. Um, there are a bunch of folks up there, uh, the anti-protesters, screaming epithets, throwing rocks, throwing bottles. Uh, the march coordinator said, uh, you big guys, you need to go flank the women and kids on the march because there's shit being thrown down. And the experience was overwhelming. I got so angry. I wanted to just pick up rocks and throw them back. And I, the people around me saw this happening. They're like, dude, mellow out, mellow out. It's cool. We deal with this shit all the time. And I just collapsed. Um, I fell into the street while people were throwing shit at us, bottles and rocks and whatever they could find, screaming the most craziest, stupid stuff. You think Fox is stupid, wow. Anyway, um, and these people I didn't know stopped, picked me up, carried me, talked to me, said, you can't be angry, you have to let it go. The only way we're ever gonna make a difference is through love and understanding, even people that we despise and hate. You gotta do it with love. You cannot be angry, you cannot throw things back. And uh, they carried me about 20, 30, maybe 40 feet. I started getting my legs back, started walking again, and learned that um, I really knew nothing and my I'm so thankful for all these strangers that came to my support to not only make sure I didn't get clobbered by bricks by lying in the middle of the street that would be easy but um, the change in the attitude of what people face every single day that I have no concept of and respond to all that anger all that oppression all that hate with love and that's try to incorporate that to inform everything I've done since. So thank you, whomever you guys were. Kip Silverman marched for civil rights in Forsyth County, Georgia in 1987. There was so much opportunity for Kip's experience to play out differently, but the civil rights community was a close-knit family that day. Up next on Superthank, Ajene Vaughn takes the mic to introduce her friend David Jackson, also known in Portland as DJ OG1. This next speaker is someone that um, I actually invited. He, um, in sum, is just a great person. He's a great mentor, and he's just been someone in my life who's been empowerful and meaningful to me. And so I'm thankful that he's going to be here to share his story. So everyone, please welcome David Jackson. crowd participation real quick. Let me get a little mic check. When I say super, you say think. Super. Thanks. Super. Thanks. Okay, that is about as close to a rap career that I'm going to have. <laughs> Let me start off by saying that, you know, most people know me that's in Portland that see me know me. I'm official DJ for the Portland Trailblazers and um, a lot of accolades in terms of the entertainment business. Um, 
But what I wanted to do is do something uh, a bit different because I feel like a lot of times this story doesn't get told. You see a lot of times great leaders in the community, people that do great things. And we hear the cliche statement that behind every great man is a great woman. But you don't hear that story a lot. We hear the statement, but we don't hear the story. So in order to tell you about the great woman I have behind me who I'm gonna be talking about that didn't have any clue that I'm gonna be talking about her this <laughs> evening, I have to tell you a little bit about my story. At five years old, I was separated from my father. My mother had me at 15 years old, and at five, I had to make a decision on who I wanted to live with, my mother and my father. Of course, I chose my mother. From there, my mom moved around the various you know, cities around the country, and we landed in Watts, California. Now, if anyone is familiar with Watts, California, particularly in the late 70s and the early 80s, probably the gang capital of the world is where, you know, the foundation of Crips and Bloods was started and all those things. By the age of 10, I got recruited by one of the largest gangs in California and spent about five years uh, actively involved in gang activity until I ran into uh, someone that I considered a mentor later, someone that I considered a father figure later, a spiritual leader later, that ended up guiding me away from the gangs. Now, some would think, well, is that, that's the person you probably should be thanking. But it's not the person I'm going to be thanking today. I thank him for getting me away from direct you know, the direct impact of violence. And from there, I was able to, to experience a lot of things from getting involved with sports uh, is where I actively started getting involved in community and all those things. Unfortunately, this person was my pastor. And you wonder why I would say unfortunately. Well, in 1988, uh, a very significant event happened here in Oregon. There was a group called the Ecclesia Athletic Association that brought about a little over 50 kids and about 100 adults to Portland, primarily African-American. And long story short, a series of incidents happened, and the group ended up being on national TV uh, targeted, targeted as a cult. Um, a couple of years later, um, there was a murder that happened. The leader, Eldridge Broussard, his uh, daughter was uh, beaten to death. Now, mind you, I've been in this group since my early age, since I was a young kid. And having to go through that, being thrown in the national spotlight, my mother, as a result, was incarcerated for 13 years. My children, at the time, were, being take, uh, were taken away from me. And I was on the street homeless, couldn't get a job because any time my name would come up being associated with the group, I couldn't even get a McDonald's job. Having that pressure of not knowing where to go, my life was built around this particular group. Now again, why am I telling you this story? I was fortunate enough, you know, because I came to a place where things had gotten so bad, I was sleeping in uh, a car. And I knew what 
I could go back to in terms of, you know, street, you know, mindset. I knew things I could do, but I felt like I didn't have a choice. But I was at a breaking point where I felt like if I didn't do something, I was going to end up losing my mind or I was going to end up killing somebody. Fortunately enough, I had my best friend, someone um, who throughout all those situations decided that she wanted to love me and decided to love me over and beyond the fact that the spiritual leader that both of us had, I loved him for taking me off the streets. But she allowed me to love him over and beyond the fact that he violated her. A woman that watched me go through a failed marriage but was willing to come and help me get my kids back and take care of them as though they were her own. A woman that watched me commit my life to a community day in, day out, running out the door at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning to jump in between guns for kids in the community of Portland. Taking on other kids that call me dad to this day. Sacrificing family, times I could have spent with her because of the passion I had to give back to the community. People, you know, tend to give me accolades and praise and I've gotten many awards for the things that I've contributed to the community. But I tell you that if it wasn't for my wife, Diane, none of this would exist. Who I am today, the brand of OG1 would not exist. The things I've done in the community would not exist. The relationships I have, the wonderful relationships I have with a lot of young people today, I would not have if it wasn't for the sacrifice of that woman right there. Let's take it a little deeper. I know we probably have mothers in the room. Here's a woman that was at the hospital while our child was in ICU. Our son, Jonathan, and she was okay with me leaving the hospital to go save a kid that was in some, some trouble in the community. Now, I don't know how many women would do that. I don't know. But I know when I didn't have anything, when I didn't have a dime, when I was in that car sleeping with no heat, she was right there by me. Everything, my failures, my bad decisions, she was right there to support me. Didn't judge me, never judged me. Spoke her mind. Anybody that knows her, she speaks her mind. She's going to tell you exactly what she feels, but never once did I feel like she was trying to keep me from doing what was most passionate to me, and she knows that's giving back and making a difference in the community. Anybody that knows me knows that's what I'm about, but again, I have to make sure that I acknowledge her any time and any chance I get because nothing... I could do in the community or professionally or otherwise could get done without your support. And I want to thank you. I love you and I adore you forever. Thank you.
a moving story of support and companionship from David Jackson. You know, these stories really illustrate how transformative the power of community can be. Super Thanks' next live storytelling event will be held on July 29th, so if you want to be entertained, smile big, and hear stories that make your heart bloom, join us. This radio show and its live storytelling event are produced by the people of SuperThink. They are Jefferson Smith, Michelle Jones, Tim Marcroft, Paul Cohn, Michael Pollard, Harai Khalasa, Bjarke Kronberg, Brandon Ross, Kara Hansen, Ajane Vaughn, and Kelly Gomez, who hosted today's show and wrote it with myself, Eric Klein. I make radio. I made this show with them. Our next live storytelling event is on July 29th. Details and the latest can be found at our Facebook page. Just look for Super Thank. My thanks to the composer of all the music on this program, Portland's own Poddington Bear. <laughs>